I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hugel culture, compost heaps and herbal teas. It's all happening in this week's episode of Gardening with the RHS with me, Guy Barter. Coming up, we'll be hearing how Alessandro Vitali has been working to recreate a slice of Italy in the raised beds of his 8 by 5 meter urban garden. Under the pseudonym Spicy Moustache, he's gained a formidable online following for sharing his adventures in growing food and exploring sustainable and zero-waste methods. I'll also be talking about one of my favourite bits of wildlife, the slowworm. Easily mistaken for a snake, this creature is Britain's only legless lizard, and I'll be explaining why they're actually a help to gardeners. But first, an ode to a herb. Anna Greenland is a grower and cook at the heart of the organic movement. Having spent three years running double Michelin-starred chef Raymond Blanc's kitchen garden and advising many others, she knows a thing or two about unlocking flavour from nature. We asked her to recommend an underappreciated gem. A plant that I'm using a lot at the moment and harvesting in abundance is lemon verbena, also known as Aloysia citradora. And it's a half-hardy perennial with the most wonderful scent. It's got that very lemony, sherbet-y sort of scent that takes you back to being a kid in a sweet shop. It's very happy in a pot. It will grow in open ground as well. It doesn't like the cold very much, so you will either need to fleece it over the winter if it's somewhere quite sheltered, or potentially cut it back and then dig it up and have it inside over the winter, because it's not a huge fan of the cold. Then you can put it back out again in the spring. But I do know people who keep it outside year round. If they're in a more sheltered, slightly warmer area, then you can throw some horticultural fleece over it. Lemon verbena is one of those herbs that if you're somebody who knows about herbs or you're a gardener or grower, you tend to know about the magic of lemon verbena. But for most people, you know, it's not one of those common culinary herbs. So I find that, you know, when you introduce it to people for the first time, they are really blown away with it. The scent and the kind of tactile nature of the plants as well. You know, if you're rubbing it and touching it, it's so surprising to people because it's just such a strong strong sherbet-y sort of aroma and a lovely subtle flavour. 
It's wonderful this time of year. You can use it as an iced tea ingredient. So I make a lemon verbena iced tea where I just steep the lemon verbena in an infusion of hot water and then I let it cool down in the fridge. You can add mint to it as well, which really sort of seems to work as a good companion. So sort of 50-50 mint lemon verbena. If you want to add a little bit of honey just to sweeten it, you can add a couple of teaspoons of honey but it doesn't even really need the honey because it's got that sort of lovely, fresh, zesty kind of flavour. To garnish, a couple of slices of lemon. You could kind of make it really fun and freeze some edible flowers into ice cubes and pop them in it as well. But the key thing is just to have it really nice and cold. So I would say at least sort of three hours or more in the fridge, maybe overnight. And it will just be a lovely, refreshing drink. You could also use lemon verbena in your kitchen, infusing it into, say, cream to make an ice cream or into a panna cotta, for example. Lemon verbena panna cotta is really lovely. So it will infuse well into milks and creams. You could make a syrup out of it. The way I actually discovered it was working with Raymond at Le Mamois, and they used to serve it as an after-dinner digestive. So it was just literally steeped in hot water and served after dinner to sort of aid digestion. And we had huge polytunnels full of lemon verbena, which was just the most intoxicating smell when you open the door on a warm day. You just got hit with this waft of lemon simply in its most simple form a lovely warm infusion of tea is great and you can dry it out that's something you could be doing this time of year so you've got a ready supply for the winter so I tend to just harvest the stems and then lay them on some sort of wire rack you could hang them potentially if you've got the space to hang just somewhere with decent airflow until they're dried and then pop them in a jam jar a nice clean sterilized jam jar label it date it and then that will store well into the winter it's definitely a desert island herb for me lemon verbena for those that have got it, don't forget to keep harvesting and potentially drying some for the colder months. And then for those of you that haven't yet discovered it, find a good supplier and you'll need to plant it out next spring. So not until May, really, until all danger of frost has passed. So it's a little bit of a way to wait. But once you've got it, you've got this lovely perennial herb that will come back if it's looked after correctly year on year. Thanks to Anna Greenland, and if you'd like to explore more plant recommendations from her, her book, Grow Easy, Organic Crops for Pots and Small Plots, is a great place to start. Many people confuse lemon verbena with lemon balm. It is somewhat tender, so if you're lucky enough to have one growing, bring it indoors next month to keep it away from the frost and cold over winter. Autumn is actually a great time for herbs. I'm harvesting basil, coriander, dill and French tarragon at the moment, and they relish the cooler conditions and the drop of rain. And autumn is also a great time for mulching. I'd urge you to be a little bit careful turning your compost too deeply, as slowworms enjoy a warm spot to raise their young and also to nest down in the warmth as they turn to hibernation during the colder months. Earlier this week, I headed down to the allotment to tell you a few facts about slowworms from the warmth of my little shed.
it's entirely possible that you have seen snakes if you live in the countryside, but in the town, in built-up areas, it's more likely to be a slow worm. And slow worms are quite small, about a foot, that's 30 centimetres to 18 inches, that's 45 centimetres. And they move quite quickly, despite being called a slow worm. I'm not quite sure why they're called slow, they're really quite agile. And they're a gardener's friend, and they are very common, and they're also one of my favourite pieces of wildlife, not least because I have so many in my garden and my allotment. If you've never seen a slow worm, it's just like a snake and it has little fluttering eyelids and a little tongue that flickers and it's got a grey-brown sort of colouring. It does tend to vary through the seasons and they tend not to move very fast and you usually spot them either when you lift up something where they're sheltering underneath or if you're cautiously walking through some longish vegetation, that's where they live, feasting on things like slugs and insects and all sorts of things that in excess can cause trouble to gardeners. In my allotment, slow worms are quite common. They live on neighbouring railway embankments and golf courses, and they come across, and the thing they really love more than anything else is to hide in warm places. I put down black plastic mulch to grow vegetables through, and the slow worms like to bask under there. And when I come to lift it in autumn, I have to be very careful not to harm the slow worms. And they also love my compost heap, where presumably they lay eggs, although I've yet to see any eggs. Now, if you see a slow worm, don't be alarmed. They're completely harmless to you and your pets and your plants. They don't actually bite or sting or they don't have anything venomous about them. And even if you pick one up, it won't do you any harm. Although I advise not picking them up because they are delicate creatures and the best left to their own devices. And in fact, they uh, do a lot of good in the garden, feasting on insects and slugs. I know a lot of people don't like snakes. In fact, they have a complete phobia of snakes. And I don't think you'd like slow worms either. But be reassured, they are harmless and they certainly have no evil intentions towards you. Given that slow worms are so good and so welcome in gardens, it's worth trying to support them in the same way that you support other wildlife, like having a source of water that they can get to, plenty of cover to defend them from their not too numerous predators, longish grasses, a bit of wildflower meadow sort of going on, access perhaps to any wasteland, railway embankments behind your house, access to other gardens. All wildlife likes a bit of room to roam and you can't really fence it in, so try not to have fences that are impervious to wildlife. And that's about it, really. If there are slow worms in the vicinity, they'll turn up. I really like to see a bit of wildlife around the allotment and in the garden. I was cleaning some onions once and one of them got up and walked off and it was actually a toad. And the same thing occurs with slow worms. You're just minding your own business, putting some stuff on the compost heap and there, lo and behold, is a slow worm. You didn't invite it, but it's very welcome and it gives you a sense of wildness in a very cultivated environment. So keep an eye out from now until October for slow worms. They'll be around doing their slow worm business for the rest of the summer. They get more and more torpid as it gets cooler and eventually sneak off somewhere to hibernate. So be careful when you're emptying compost bins in case there's anything in there. And if you find one, put it somewhere safe where it can complete its hibernation. And with luck, there'll be lots more slow worms next year. I've really enjoyed saying a few words about slow worms. And remember, you've only got a few weeks until deep into October when they'll go into hiding for the winter and you'll have lost your chance to see them until next year. Now our next guest also enjoys gardening with nature in mind. 
Hailing from northern Italy, Alessandro, or Spicy Moustache, as his 540,000 Instagram followers know him, has been inspiring people all around the world to take an organic-minded approach to gardening, no matter how small your plot. We spoke to him about his journey into gardening and a particular method called hugel culture that he's been trying out recently alongside a bit of no dig. Hi, I'm Alessandro, also called Spicy Moustache, and I've been growing food in London for about seven years. And I moved from North Italy, where I was growing food with my grandpa. And I learned so many things about living soil and uh, different techniques of growing my own food. So I got inspired to start using different techniques in the garden because at first I was thinking just go to the garden centre, buy some stuff and like start growing food with whatever like you find there. But in reality, like you need to find alternative techniques because soil is a living thing. So how can we make sure that we nurture not only the plants, but we start from the soil and we improve the amount of actual life that it's into the soil. So I started researching and reading, finding out more about what happens actually inside the soil because there is a micro universe that it's happening like all around us. So I started learning how you could actually improve the amount of microorganisms in your soil because they are the workers of your garden. And there is one sentence that is stuck in my mind and it's do as nature does. I think it's a really powerful sentence that it's literally what I'm trying to replicate even in this sort of space. What I always say is there is not like a single technique that actually works in the garden. But what I tend to do is to pick up different parts of like techniques that I learned from people that for me are an inspiration. Like for example, Charles Dowding, the Nodig method, or the Jadam method of natural farming. So thanks to all these people that inspire me and all these different techniques, I started applying them even inside my garden. It was great because for every raised bed, I could use a different technique and every time learning from the mistakes, one of the techniques that I'm actually trying in the garden. And I think it works really good to save money because right now everything seems really expensive. So I think it's the perfect time to start using this kind of saving money techniques. Yugo culture, it's a technique that basically helps to fill up a raised bed with organic matter. So you start with like a layer of logs at the bottom and you top it up with small branches, especially like apple branches. Once you top it up, you can then start adding more and more material, a sort of lasagna layering. So you add unfinished compost, food scraps, and then you top it up with mature compost and topsoil. And you can mix it with a draining material and that's ready to plant. So obviously the material by decomposing over time, they will start to release heat. So you will have for like a year time, maybe two or three degrees Celsius over the average temperature inside your raised bed. It's good because it can extend the actual growing season. But also like the cool thing is that you can plant straight away into it. So you don't need to wait any sort of time. And the microorganism eating the organic matter into the raised bed, they will eat and excrete new nutrients. So it's a constant loop. You don't need to add anything else. But also I don't use straight 
yugel culture. I combine it with no dig, for example. So like uh, I don't remove the plants, including the roots, but I cut them at the base, leaving the roots into the ground so they can be eaten up by the microorganisms and decomposed to create new nutrients. And I top up the raised beds before planting new plants with a thin layer of compost. And by doing this, as you can tell, like I don't need to add any sort of extra nutrients or pesticide or anything like that. It's fully organic. And I managed to grow food even in the middle of the city. Over the past year, I managed to grow a variety of different plants using the yugal culture and no dig and permaculture techniques all mixed up together. In the beds in the garden, I grow loads of different heritage varieties. I have varieties like a white wonder cucumber that is unusual and it tastes like watermelon. Or I have kiwano, which is a weird looking cucumber with like bright colors of yellow and orange stripes. And whenever I sow too many plants, I just gift it away to friends and neighbors. I converted even my front yard into a vegetable garden. At first it was to give away like all the extra vegetables because we produce enough like in the backyard. And then at some point it started to be like a sort of inspiration for people because if anyone stops by, ask me a few questions and I explain them with the passion that I have for the garden and they learn a couple of things and they get really interested in like plants or like the plants, even a single plant at home. You know, you just started something, even if it's small, it's a small step, but it, it really means a lot. So by applying yugal culture or no dig or permaculture and all these different techniques inside your garden, you can grow so many things. And I'm giving away daily like free vegetables to friends and neighbors. And it's a great way to spend time in nature and grow your own food and start eating healthy food. So give this technique a go. Like it's super easy, straightforward. You don't need to break the bank to apply it into the garden. And it's the perfect time to start using these money saving techniques. Thanks to Alessandro. You can search Spicy Moustache on social media to find his fun videos and many wonderful images of the produce from his home plot with some accompanying recipes. Like Anna Greenland and others like big veg grower Gerald Stratford, I think it's fantastic that there's a thriving community online who are connecting growing to sustainability so strongly, repopularising ideas like no dig and hugel culture along the way. I see more and more young gardeners starting with these principles ingrained, so I think we have a lot to thank them for. And it's a good reminder to all of us to keep our standards for the environment high. So while hugel culture has its limitations when it comes to larger scale growing, it's really good for small gardens and suburban gardens and for people new to gardening who can have a recipe for making good soil and excellent growing conditions using renewable local materials rather than at the great expense of buying manure and the labour of digging and cultivation. And for that reason, I think we're going to hear more and more about things like hugel culture. If you're wondering where the rather charming name Hugelkultur comes from, it's actually a German word meaning mound culture or hill culture. Though the technique is alleged to have been practiced in German and Eastern European societies for hundreds of years, the term was first published in a 1962 German gardening booklet by Hermann Andra. Inspired by the diversity of plants growing in a pile of woody debris in his grandmother's garden, Andra promoted mound culture 
as opposed to flatland culture. These more innovative and obscure ways of gardening are a lot of fun, but they can be somewhat intimidating, as though there's only one method. But in fact, growing crops, vegetables in particular, is ever so easy. All you need is plenty of light, some reasonably fertile soil, a bit of space and some time, and they grow themselves. But uh, gardening is for everyone, and it can be ever so simple. With the drought broken at last and the soil moist to quite deep, it's time to start thinking about doing different things at the start of September, now that the dreaded watering can take backstage. One of the things is dividing perennials. I like to dig these out and divide them up into fist-sized lumps and replant them. So when they're no longer looking good over the next few weeks, out they come and be replanted. Many people think that a herbaceous border is forever. It's not really. It has to be replanted every four or five years, and autumn's an excellent time to do it. Then, of course, there's lots of seeds that are ripening now from perennials and hardy annuals, and gathering and drying these and then storing them over winter to sow in the spring is one of the most satisfying and indeed expense-saving factors of gardening. And I hate to see bare ground, so I'm going to sow cover crops or green manures. I've already sown quite a lot of clover, so now I'm going to grow grasses, Italian rye grass, for example, and rye or oats, and sow them to cover the ground over the winter, do some growing, protect the soil, and improve the wildlife and biodiversity of the soil. So now that summer's over, and it was a hot summer when all we wanted to do was to take cover in the shade, there's still lots to do, and it's going to be much easier to do it in the lovely cool weather we can expect from now on. And there's no pressure. As long as we get it done before spring, it'll all come right. So I'll be out gardening on my allotment and in my back garden, and I hope to see you out there too. So from me, Guy Barter, have a lovely week. I'm walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step, and you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer, or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days, plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.